0: Man, Thank you. We're in Luke chapter 1 this morning, looking at Mary's song. I really want to focus in on verse 53. Uh, Before we jump into that, um, thinking about Christmas, I remember when I was a little kid, and I would get so excited Christmas Eve, because I knew, when I got up in the morning there was something waiting on me and I I couldn't sleep I can remember thinking how early can I get up without my parents getting mad that I got up and I would I'd push it and I'd go in there and I'd look at the gifts and then I'd go in my parents' room and I'd you know can we go ahead and start Christmas you know it's there was that sense of anticipation I couldn't stand it and you know, as I thought about those gifts that I got from my parents, um, I didn't appreciate or realize what that cost them or how hard it was for them. Um, I won't say we were poor, poor, but we were poorer than I knew we were. And and some of that was really hard for them. And, and I was thinking about that. I got kind of teary-eyed thinking about that. Both of my parents are now... But deceased and gone. And and you know, just thinking about they loved me. And that's why they went to all that trouble. Because I was a selfish thing. You know, wanting something. And as I thought about that excitement about, man, I just want to get out there and I want to start unwrapping those gifts. And it made me think this morning, how do we unwrap the gift of Jesus Christ each day? Sometimes it just gets to be commonplace or or we lose that sense of how blessed we really are. not just with the gifts, but with the gift. How do we get up each day? How is Jesus unwrapped in my heart each morning? How do people see the gift unwrapped in me? And if you have not received the gift that's the greatest gift of all in Jesus, it awaits just to be unwrapped, to place within your heart. Well, this morning, as we look at Mary's song, I want us to specifically, uh, we're going to focus the message on verse 53, but I want to read her song, verses 46 through 55, as we look at a, a teenage girl who wanted to know the gift. So stand in God's honor, if you would. As I read aloud from Luke chapter 1 beginning at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this song that this young girl just started singing because of the gift, the anticipation of the gift, God. And she just burst out in song for that, God. Um, As we look at how you want us to unwrap the greatest gift of all, I pray you speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we need you. So, Lord, uh, we just invite you to speak way beyond um, what I can say. And speak to our hearts. Because we do have so much to be grateful for. Mostly who we're grateful for. A Savior. So speak to us, Master. In your name we pray. Amen. The Virgin Mary was a young girl, I heard everywhere from 12 to 17. Hadn't had a lot of experience, I guess, as far as life goes. But one thing she had was an humble heart. And you see, God honors the humble heart. The way the gift is unwrapped is I have to lower myself so that I make room for Him. And, and and that was a picture of Mary. I think of James 4.10. It says, for whoever humbles himself will be lifted up. And Jesus said, he who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Throughout the Scriptures, there's this picture of God working where a person is willing to be humbled. To be willing not to be a know-it-all, but to seek the one who does know it all. That, that's the picture of what God is up to. And it made me think of another song that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 2. This lady named Hannah who desperately wanted to have a child. Her womb was barren and another lady who was having children would make fun of her and, and it just drive her completely crazy. Broke her heart. She prayed. And and she came before God. And in her prayer. in Chapter 2. I want to read just a couple of verses there. uh, Verses 5 through 7. She prays. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. But those who were hungry. Hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children. But she who has many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and He exalts. Here was the lady Hannah. As she came before the Lord, she was so broken before God. And it took that barren womb experience for God to give her a child. You say, boy, that seems tough. That seems kind of mean. And it reminded me of Abraham and Sarah. What happened with Abraham and Sarah? There was this long wait for this promised child. This descendant that would be of God. And would be for many people to come. And thus from which would come the Savior. There was this waiting. There was this need to humble oneself before God. For God to speak and and, and to move. As we come back to Luke 1 and focus on 53. I, I believe this verse gives us insight. In how the gift is to be unwrapped. The gift of Christ. He has filled the hungry with good things. But has sent the rich away empty. There's an allusion here in this song to Psalm 107, verse 9. The previous verses, there are four cases of desperate situations. comes to verse 9 and it says, For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. And so the picture here is that there is a God who sees the deepest of the need and in his love he reaches out and he provides within that need to speak. Matter of fact, as you look at Jesus and those Beatitudes, that Sermon on the Mount, He says, Blessed are those who know they're spiritually poor, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or they shall be satisfied. He said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. There's that picture of the one who's willing to go down will be elevated, will be exalted, will be brought up. And and even the Apostle Paul, he talked about that thorn. He said three times, God, take this away from me. I can't endure it. It's too much. And then he came to the conclusion where God said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, there is a dependency God wants us to become empty so that he may fill us. He he wants us to humble ourselves so that he can raise us up for his purposes. I think of Jeremiah 17:5. This says the one who cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. This picture, trusting in self. Uh, Proverbs 29:25, it says Fear of man proves to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. It's not enough to trust in human ingenuity. It must come to the Lord. And so let's look. First, he satisfies, God satisfies the spiritually hungry with good things. Notice here about Mary, verse 47. She says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She didn't see herself as sinless. She didn't see herself as one who had arrived. She said, the Savior, the one who's come to forgive my sins. She comes with that humble heart. Then in verse 48, she tells us, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Her heart was humbled. She felt broken before God. It says in Psalm fifty one, seventeen, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite spirit. That God's not going to despise that kind of heart, that kind of that kind of spirit. Then in verse fifty he says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. She had a picture and an understanding of that mercy. Now let's look at these truths here, break it down. The ones God satisfies are marked by spiritual hunger. Matthew 5, 6, that beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. They will be satisfied. There's a hunger. There's a thirst for Christ. I've noticed in the scriptures, we don't find Jesus begging people to follow him. Matter of fact, at one point in John chapter 6, there was this great crowd. And when he began telling the hard truths of what it cost to follow him, it says that many left. And then he turned to his disciples and he said, are you guys going to go too? And Peter said, where can we go? There's nowhere else to go. Because you are the life, Jesus. You are the hope. So there's a a, a hunger. and, And I guess that's a question we have to ask ourselves if we want to unwrap the gift of following Jesus. Do you have a hunger? Is there a thirst? Is there a deep longing inside to know Jesus? It's not enough just to use Him to get what we want or to numb our pain. But there must be a relationship with Him. A personal, ongoing relationship that He reaches out. He woos us and He wants us to follow Him. And that's not just a one-time event It's meant to be a day-by-day walk with the living God that occurs after He introduces Himself to us and we shake hands by the grace of God and receive salvation and then we're able to walk hand-in-hand with Him. If there's not a thirst and there's not a hunger for Jesus, maybe we need to do an evaluation to see if we're really in the faith or if we're just churchy. There's a big difference. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher of the past, wrote this in his Sermon on the Mount Commentary. He says, I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole of Scripture, you can be quite certain you're a Christian. If it is not, then you had better examine the foundations again you see when you come to christ you don't stop sinning there's still sin but sin is not the pattern of your life you you don't sin in order to to be fulfilled the the big quest is is not to pursue this sin or that sin but it's to find the one who feeds the soul Jesus, that's the quest. 1 John 3, 6 reads, No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. If you are in Him, if you are in Christ, then you're not marked continually by sin, by continually chasing sin, by being controlled by sin, by being consumed by sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And it says no one who continues to sin, who is marked by that for their pleasure and fulfillment, has either seen him or known him. But you're marked by meeting the one who takes away your sin. Not by the pursuit or the chase of sin. Mary was hungry for God. Most of us don't really know what it means to starve or to be hungry. I mean, I know my mom, she, I can remember several times we'd have Thanksgiving dinner, some big meal, and she'd say, I'm starving to death. And that woman, last time, one last time she ate Thanksgiving with us, i never seen somebody eat so much. Cindy and I were just like, and of course she had this classic statement, I'll never eat again. And I always knew that's not true. You're going to eat again. But there are those who are literally starving to death in our world. And the picture here Jesus has is that we are to have that kind of consuming hunger. That consuming thirst for Him. That is an evidence that He really lives in our hearts. That is an evidence that He is alive within us. That is a picture of Him. Uh, Secondly, It is God alone who can satisfy that hunger. In verse 53, he is speaking about God. We find that fulfillment not in the cheap substitutes that are all around us crying out to us, but in a Savior alone that fulfills the heart. In Isaiah 55, 2 and 3, there is this invitation from God He says, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. He says, don't go after that which money buys, but go after that which is for me. Ultimately, for me, that's what you need is the Lord. Not the cheap substitutes that cry out to you, but the one who really feeds the soul. David, he's on the run somewhere between 10 and 14 years from Saul. Saul is jealous after he's killed that giant and the people were singing out in the street. Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his tens of thousands. And so he's after David. It would have been very easy for David to go into one of those pity parties. and We all know what those are like. Nobody wants to come, by the way, when you have one. Ugh. But anyway, he could have done that, but that wasn't David. Matter of fact, in Psalm 63, while he's on the run, a couple of verses from Psalm 63, he wrote, he said, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. See, there's the yearning. For God Himself. In verse 5, he says, My soul is satisfied as with a marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praise with joyful lips. He's not looking at his circumstance. He's looking at God. That God has sustained him, and that God will get him through that difficult time. That is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not found anywhere else. Jesus said, I'm the way. He said, I'm the truth. He said, I'm the life. And he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the one. He is the only way that sustains us. And that's why he was the only one that could be the perfect sacrifice to die on a cross, to pay for our sins. No one else was worthy of that. Only Jesus Christ was ultimately worthy of that. He's the only one that can fill the hunger. Let's say that... Uh, I was a lot smarter than I am, and I I was able to invent something that, where I could make cardboard taste like the best steak and potato meal you've ever had, and man, I could infuse that into the cardboard, where you'd say, man, I can't get enough of this cardboard. You have some more cardboard, Todd? He says, how about if I bring a box? I'm mean, one of those refrigerator boxes over here. And you can put some of that on there. Man, it's good. And you might think, that tastes wonderful. I can't eat enough cardboard. But the problem is, it's cardboard. There's no sustenance in the cardboard. There's no nutrition in the cardboard. There's no calories in the cardboard. Nothing to keep you alive. And so you keep eating cardboard and then you die. We live in a world that's eating cardboard. They're not feasting upon the Lord Jesus. They're not being filled and fulfilled. They're starving to death. As they need the one that fills us. God satisfies the hungry. The word filled that is used here in this verse. As I've already mentioned, comes from Psalm 107, verse 9. It is a picture of being filled to the full. It's the same word that's used in the feeding of the 5,000. Remember, you had a little boy, he had a few fish, a little bit of bread. And this huge crowd of people, over 5,000 people were fed. It was a miracle of God. But you know what was amazing? God didn't just feed the people. It said that there were over 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Because when God feeds, God feels above and beyond what we even desire or want. He loves us that way. And so the picture here is he gives good things. To those who are spiritually hungering and thirsting for Him. He fills to the full with an abundance that's beyond what we can even think or what we can even imagine. He satisfies the hungry with good things. He's not referring here to the stuff you buy in a store. I think of that famous saying by um, the missionary that um, died down in uh, South America, Elliot, where he said, He who gives up what he can not keep in order to gain what he cannot lose is no fool. In Jesus, we gain something that we cannot lose and that which we think we hold on to so desperately with clenched hands. Man, it's passing away. It's going to leave us. There's a story about a Persian king Shah Abbas. And he began thinking about, you know, I'm sitting in the kingdom and I don't really know the people. And so he said, I want to get out there and I want to meet the people. So he would wear disguises and he'd go out and just hang out with the people because, you know, if they saw him, you know, he, he couldn't be, you know, treated just for who he was. And so he dressed up like a beggar one day and he went down to a poor area where a man who took care of the furnace. And the guy had just a little bit of crusty food, certainly nothing impressive, but he shared it with his his king. And so they shared meals together, and he just kept coming back. He'd go back, and he'd see him, and and they built a friendship. Well, one day he decided, I'm going to tell him who I am. And so, you know, his his expectation was when he finds out who I am, he's going to ask me for something because I'm the king supply anything but what was interesting was when he revealed who he was to this poor man here, here was the response he just stood looking at him for a moment just in shock and then he said this you left your palace and your glory to sit with me in this dark place to partake of my coarse food to care whether my heart was glad or heavy On others, you may bestow great riches, but to me, you've given a much greater gift yourself. (laughs) I only ask that you may never withdraw the gift of your friendship. That's the story of Jesus. We are friends with God. Through the king who came among us in the dirty streets of mankind and, and sat with us and supped with us and ate with us and provided for us and ultimately gave himself so that we can be with him forever. What, what a great truth. All right, I've got to look at the other side of this and as usual I'm out of time. Bear with me. Uh, second part of the verse, God sends the self-satisfied away empty. Notice what he says here in verse 53. But he sent the rich away empty. Three things quickly I want us to notice. He sends away the self-satisfied. These are the people who, they're content. They have what they need. They're not hungry for God. They just show up. It's a habit. You know, when God chose to come. He didn't come through the great high priest or man, one of those fancy rabbis who, you know, just was so wise. But he came to this poor carpenter and his wife. They were just teenagers. He came to those who were humble. And he stooped for our benefit. That's the way God works. If we're self-satisfied, if we don't need anyone and we don't need anything and we can fix the problems and we can make it and there's no room for God. God's not there. God's not there. He sends them away. He sends away the self-satisfied. Secondly, God actively sends them away. How startling. He was like, well, I thought God was a loving God. I thought God was a caring God. But God is a God who says the only way to come is on my terms, not your terms. You're not the one in charge. Well, The sooner we could learn that, the better off we'd all be, wouldn't we? We come on God's terms or we don't come to Him at all. There was an article years ago in Newsweek that reported a a lot of people, a lot of baby boomers were coming back to the church. Why? Because they wanted their kids to have religious values. The article clearly went on to say these people were coming on their terms, not God's terms. And and there was this line that really struck me. It says, they don't convert, they choose. They want to know what's in it for me. We're not in charge. It's not up to us to come and to choose and say, I want the church to do this for me, and I want the and I want you to serve me in this manner. No, we're to convert, we're to come broken, we're to come poor. We're to come before God as those who are humble, and then He's able to fill us, and He's able to fulfill us. A similar article in Time magazine said this Increasing numbers of baby boomers who left the fold years ago are turning religious again, but many are traveling from church to church or faith to faith, sampling creeds, shopping for a custom-made God. God, forgive us. We are not going to see revival as long as we're not willing to come on His terms. We don't manipulate God. We don't manipulate God. All right, the third one, the last one. God sends them away empty-handed. Man, what a thought. He sent the rich away empty. empty Empty-handed. In Ephesians 2, chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. You see, there is no hope apart from the Savior. We think we have it all, but it can leave us at any moment But Jesus is there forever. And what He provides is lasting. It is eternal. matters. Uh, Jesus said it like this in Mark 8, 36. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his own soul? You can have it and lose it. You can have him and be safe. Alright, as I close this thing, as we have our invitation, what's the solution? What are we called to? D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist Another generation once said, Christ sends none away empty, but those who are full of themselves. Christ sends none away empty, but those who are full of themselves. So church, I I guess, is an invitation. Are you empty? Are you full of yourself? The only way to unwrap the gift of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of all, is to make room for Him, which means I need to be empty where are you this morning? Is God calling you to Him? And I don't know the specific area, but maybe there's an area where He says, you need to empty yourself of that so that there's room for me. Or maybe you're just full of yourself and have never emptied yourself to receive the Savior. You've never encountered Him. You've never met Him. You've never had that face-to-face encounter. As the old saying goes, there's no grandchildren in heaven, only children. My children aren't going to come to God because of my faith. It it takes a personal encounter with the living God. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. You don't come to God at a distance. You've got to come close. and It's by Jesus. And it's through the cross. As you think of the church of Ephesus, how they viewed themselves in uh, Revelation 3.17 As uh, Jesus writes about the church, they say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. So that's how that church at Laodicea viewed themselves. But Jesus said, here's how I really see you. Second part of 17, you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Jesus said in John 6:35 I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time of year that reminds us of the gift. Father, have we received the gift? How do we unwrap the gift each morning or do we leave it packaged? Or I shouldn't say it. Do we leave Jesus packaged? Do we run to you or do we hide from you? Speak to us, Lord, as we have an altar that's open. If we need to do business with you, may we come to the altar and pray. Or, or if it's coming um, before your people and making a decision of some sort. Maybe it's to receive the gift Maybe there's someone here who has never stopped and said, you know, I need the gift of Jesus Christ, His forgiveness. And I've thought about it, I've talked about it, but I need it. I need Him. May that one come to Christ this morning, come down. Maybe there's someone here and you want to express the gift that's in your heart that Jesus does live in you, and the way to do that is to be baptized. Maybe you haven't been baptized, and that's a testimony. It's a picture of Jesus living in your heart, of having that gift of eternal life, and, and dying to a life that's without Him, and being alive with Him. And Maybe you need to come and to be baptized and join uh, your people here, Father. I, I don't know, but I pray that you'd have freedom to move among us this morning, that you would be glorified and you would be honored. Jesus, we just ask you to be free to do as you please. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.